If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn once again. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We are continuing with our exposition of this book. I think today is our 28th message. Would you believe that? The 28th message. And we are chapter 11. And uh, in his will, we trust that we will be able to continue before the end of the year. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. We were talking about the Lord's Supper. And so two Lord days ago, we started to do an exposition of Paul's explanation of the significance of the Lord's Supper. He talks about why it was instituted and how it was and how it is to be observed even today. Now, for those of you who were here, we stopped at verse 25 of chapter 11. So I invite you to turn to that passage as we resume our discussion of this vital issue in the life of the church. I believe it's one of the most important issues for us to look at. Because I believe in many, most cases, in our churches, it is a very neglected aspect of church life. Verse 25, Paul says, writing, being carried along by the Holy Spirit, the Bible tells us, Paul writes this passage concerning the Lord's Supper to tell us how to observe it so that God could be glorified around the Lord's Supper. In the previous verses, he talks about how men and women are to pray and to prophesy in order for God to be glorified. Now he's telling us how we are to behave around the Lord's Supper in order for God to be glorified in our midst. And this is what he says in verse 25. Do this, I'm reading from the New Living Translation today, do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, You are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Do you believe that this is the word of God? Do you believe this is the word of God? If God speaks to us, what should we do? What should we do? Obey. All right, let's remember that. God is speaking to us through this word. Listen now. These are precious words. These are significant words. These are words that must not go unheeded or misunderstood. Notice, first of all, a command is given. Do this. This is an imperative. It's not a suggestion. It's not something that we are free to do if we feel like it or not. If you call Jesus Lord, you're supposed to obey. Because he says what? Why call you me Lord and do not the things that I say? So if you call Jesus Lord, you should obey this commandment. If you don't, you cannot call Jesus Lord unless you also claim to be a disobedient disciple of Jesus Christ. Do this. This is not even an invitation. This is not not something we are free to accept or reject as we see fit. It's a direct command from our master. It's an imperative given by our savior, given by our master himself. This is why I'm amazed at the callous Nonchalant ways so many professing Christians regard the Lord's Supper. They would put any and everything before the Lord's Supper. They put a ball game before the Lord's Supper. If our Lord's Supper was this evening, this is Super Bowl night. Super Bowl would take place of the bread and the cup, the bowl, for many Christians. Although the master commands us to do it. And they'll do it. Rationalize it. Oh well you know. Only come around once a year. 
Besides, I need a little bit of relaxation. Jesus never anywhere said, do this only if there's no Super Bowl. Right or wrong? It's a command. Do this. But if there's a good show coming on TV, that's all right. No. Do this, he says. It's a command. Notice what we're commanded to do. Do this to remember me. Now remember who is speaking. It isn't Peter, James, John, or Alan, Lee. It isn't even the prime minister. It's Jesus Christ. He's your savior. He's your master. He's God. He says, do this to remember me. Do this to remember me. Now the word remember is very significant here. This is not referred to a simple bringing back to the memory or the mind or an event of a person. But it means to remember in such a way that what is remembered touches the heart as well as the mind. It means to bring that person, that event, back into your mind as though it's happening Right now. And you could feel it happen. It's not only a historical bringing to mind. But it's an emotional one. You see, in a historical bringing to mind. Is where I can bring an event of the past back to mind. But I don't feel it. That's where forgiveness comes in, by the way. By the way. When you bring a hurt by another person back without bringing in all the emotional pain. That's when you are experiencing forgiveness. But now, when you're experiencing an emotional recall, that's a different story. You bring back all of the pain and all of the hurt. And that person who hurt you is hurting you again. You felt like killing him then, you felt like killing him now. That's the kind of remembrance he's talking about here. He's talking about a remembrance that touches the heart. Here is how... Vine's expository dictionary puts it, I quote, it means not in memory of, but in an affectionate calling of the person himself to mind. I like to say it's a remembrance that touches the heart. Then you come to remember the Lord around the Lord's table and you're not, your heart is not touched by that remembrance you're not following this command. Look at the object of this remembrance. Me. Remember me. Now in this stage, you not even say remember my death. He begins to talk about that later on. But right now, his focus is on himself. Me. Jesus himself. The person of Jesus Christ. Here it's not even the work yet. It's the person of Jesus Christ. The one who is standing before them. Anticipating Calvary. Knowing that Judas is right at that moment betraying him. Knowing that. He says. Remember me. Do this. To remember me. Friends, listen, the Lord's Supper is all about our blessed Lord and Savior. It's not even about preaching. It's not even about singing. The Lord's Supper is all about Jesus Christ, our Savior. Do this to remember me. But you know, some people wouldn't even break bread at church if there's no singing. Just like some people won't go to or come to a prayer meeting if there's no preaching. When you come to the Lord's Supper, you come to remember Jesus Christ. Not to see your friends. That's going to be important later on. We'll see that. But to remember him. Just think about that. Jesus Christ has to command us to remember him. Isn't that sad? 
You'll find in Scripture that whenever Jesus Christ makes a command, most of the times he commands us to do it because it's one of the most difficult things to do or we just don't want to do it. So he commands it. Husbands, love your wives. Wives, be submissive. Those are two of the most difficult things for a man or a woman to do. That's why he orders it. Remember me. Reflect upon me. Jesus Christ. He says, do this in a manner that touches your heart. And so I paraphrase this in this way. Do this in a way that shows that you love me because of who I am and because of what I did for you. That's the Lord's Supper. Do this because of who I am and because of what I did for you. The Corinthians were not doing this. But Jesus continues. Look at the text. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Now he's talking at this time about the cup. The truth also applies in taking the bread. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. Now, no specific time or day is given. In fact, in the early days of the church, they used to do it every day. Then, many churches used to do it every Lord's Day. But he says here, as often as you drink it, we could actually paraphrase it to say this, whenever you observe the Lord's Supper, Do it in such a manner that you show your love for me and your appreciation for my death for you. And do it with love and compassion. That's what Jesus is saying. But there's something else here we need to take a note of. And it's often overlooked. Paul expands on this by stating the reason why What he has just said is true. Notice what he said, the text says. For, that's the reason. For every time, whenever you do it, every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing, proclaiming the Lord's death until he comes again. What tremendous words, awesome words these are. Notice. Every time you do it, not sometime, not once in a while, every time, every time we meet to partake of these emblems as we'll be doing in a moment, every time we meet to partake of these emblems of bread and wine, we announce, we proclaim, we preach the Lord's death. And we need to do it until he comes back. Every time. This makes every observance of the Lord's Supper both a solemn and a joyful time. It's solemn because we remember his finished work, his death, but it's also joyful because he's coming back. And remembering not his dying, remembering his death. Once and for all finished and completed. The work is done. Hallelujah. What a savior. It's done. We do not remember his dying. We remember his death. But something else here in this text. Some people say we shouldn't have the Lord's Supper too often. We shouldn't have it every week. Why? He says because it could become boring and commonplace. Did you get used to it? You ever heard that? That's why some people actually only have the Lord's Supper once a year. But Jesus said that's not true. It wouldn't become boring if we do it the way he tells us to do it. If we do it correctly. Paul says every time we observe the Lord's Supper in a proper and worthy way. We preach the gospel and we look forward to his coming again. 
every time, every time we do this, we preach the gospel. And for some, unfortunately, that's the only time you do it. And still you don't want to come here to do it. If done properly, the Lord's Supper will never seem dry or boring or simply religious or repetitious. Because we know we're obeying a command of our master. And that brings joy in itself. Every time you do it. But notice something else. We do it until he comes again. Several things here. First, Jesus is coming again. You believe that? Jesus is coming again. Can you say that with me? Jesus is coming again. And every time you observe the Lord's Supper, that's what you're saying. Jesus is coming again. He said it. He promised it. And he never made a promise he didn't keep. This promise brings joy to the celebration of the Lord's Supper, even though it focuses also on his death. That's why we need to realize that the Lord's Supper is not a memorial dirge. It's a joyous celebration in which we celebrate the finished work of Jesus Christ by looking back to his death with love. And we eagerly look forward to his coming again with joyful anticipation. It is meant to be a joyous celebration. Every time we do it. Every time. Second, we are to observe this feast continuously until he comes. Continuously. Not once in a while, but continuously. This shows that it must be observed today. It wasn't only for the times of the apostle. It's until Jesus Christ comes. And he hasn't come yet. To be obedient to our master, the observance of the Lord's Supper should be a regular activity of the church. Should be. If you're going to be obedient. Third. This is not to be an irregular, haphazard event that we do when we feel like it. It is to be a consistent, regular activity on our part until we come face to face with Jesus Christ. Godet, a renowned Bible scholar, says this about the Lord's Supper. The Lord's Supper is the link between his two comings. It is the monument of the one and the pledge of the other. What a fantastic event then the Lord's Supper is. Remember earlier we saw how important it is with the new covenant. This institute, this marks the institution of the Lord's Supper. Really the same way we say, remember I said this before, B.C. and A.D. we should be saying what? O.C. And you see, old covenant and new covenant. We are living in the age of the new covenant now. And the Lord's Supper marks that institution. This is a glorious event. Now, this is Paul's divinely revealed truth concerning the significance and meaning of the Lord's Supper and why it should be observed in the loving, compassionate, thoughtful, thankful, and united attitude and manner. He has laid down the standard given to him by Christ. But now he goes on to explain the consequences of partaking of the Lord's Supper in such a way that does not meet the standard. Because remember now, he's talking to the Corinthians. Don't let us take it out of the historical context. He's trying to correct something that is not going on correctly at Corinth. And so he now turns to explain what I call the dire consequences of observing the Lord's Supper in an unworthy manner. He just finished describing for us how to do it in a worthy manner. Now he's going to describe for us how not to do it. How not to do it in an unworthy manner. 
verses 27 to 34. This is where Paul now applies the truth which he's just taught. And so he's saying something like that. That's the doctrine. Now here is how that doctrine is supposed to be lived out. Friends, as I said again and again, right doctrine leads to right practice. Yeah? And the reason why many Christians are not doing the right things as far as church is concerned, Gary, is because they don't have the right doctrine. Paul is saying, here is how this truth I've just told you about looks like in real life. Verse 27, so, notice that, so, he's applying. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. Now, a lot of folk like for us to skip this portion. You see, because this is, this don't just talk about blessings. You know, we like blessings, right? Right? Sure you like blessings. How many of you have a box of curses on your table? For not doing anything. Any of you all got them? But I bet you all, most of you have a box of promises. Right? But if you look at a lot of those promises, a lot of them are based on things you have to do before you can claim the promise. But you see, all we, all we like to choose on is the promise part, the good part, as we say. But Paul he writes the scripture. He writes what God tells him to write. Anyone who eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord unworthily is guilty of sinning against the body and blood of the Lord. This is serious stuff. This is serious stuff. This is solemn stuff. Now, look at the word so in this translation. In other words, because of or based on what I just said about the significance of the Lord's Supper and how it should be observed. If anyone who doesn't do it this way is guilty. Guilty of what? Guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Notice what he say now. That is why. He goes on. That is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Why? Because if you don't do that, you're going to eat in an unworthy manner. And when you do that, you become guilty. Now please be careful here. Paul is not saying that we had to be worthy to partake. If that is true, none of us would be able to do it. He is not saying we have to be worthy to partake of it. He says when we partake of it, do not do it in an unworthy manner. He's talking about the way we do it. You understand that? That's very important here. He's talking about the way we do it. None of us in ourselves is worthy to partake of these elements to remember our blessed Lord. None. But Paul's emphasis is on the manner in which we do it. Notice the terrible result of doing so unworthily. We are guilty of sinning against the perfect sacrifice of Christ. The body and blood of Christ. Remember how we talked about his body being specially prepared? A body thou hast prepared for me. Remember we talked about this body, how God prepared it especially to be a perfect sacrifice? That's the body we will sin against. His incarnation is coming as a man while remaining to be God. If we don't do this properly, we could sin against Jesus Christ as the incarnate sacrifice. That's one of the major reasons why he was incarnated, according to Hebrews. To be a perfect sacrifice. His body for us. Please do not miss the practical import of this. Paul is saying that if we observe the Lord's Supper in a disgraceful way, we are guilty of the death of Jesus Christ as our perfect sacrifice. We're not understanding, recognizing who he really is. We're disregarding the mystery of his incarnation. 
the wonder of it. Meaning here that we are not recognizing or regarding Jesus Christ for who he really is as a sacrifice for us. And so what's happening? We're just going through the motions when we don't realize that. And Paul is saying those motions are sinful. But there's another dimension here that is often overlooked. His body, the church, is also pictured by the bread we partake of the Lord's, around the Lord's table. In other words, it's not only the body of Christ, the incarnate body of Christ that is a part of this, but also the body that is made up of members of the church, which is his body. That's also a part of this. We mentioned this earlier in chapter 10, but you probably forgot it. So let me read it again. Bring it to mind. Chapter 10, verse 6. Paul talked about the Lord's Supper way back then. But very rarely do we read chapter 10 when we talk about the Lord's Supper. Look at verse 10. Verse 16. When we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? Who is he talking about? He's talking about the members of the body of Christ. Aren't we sharing in the blood of Christ? And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? And though we are many, we all eat from one loaf of bread, showing that we are one body. Think about the people of Israel. Weren't they united by eating the sacrifice of the altar? What is he saying? He says that when we gather as God's people, like we're doing right now, to observe the Lord's Supper, we do so as the body of Christ. Actually, it's the present day incarnated body of Christ. You and me who make up the church, the body of Christ, is practically speaking the incarnated Christ. He lives in and through us. Paul is saying, not only must we recognize what the body of Christ is that was given for sacrifice for us, but we should also recognize that we are united as members of the body of Christ as well. You see, that's the problem at Corinth. Christ lives within us. In order to live his life out through us. Paul is saying we must recognize and strive to keep the unity of the spirit. By recognizing and keeping the unity of the body. Unity of the body when we gather around the Lord's table. And so when we come here we must not only look. Paul is saying. At the significance of the bread and the cup. But we should look around. And look at the significance of my brother and sister to me. For whom this body was given. And he's saying. That if we. Are not in perfect. Unity with the members of the body of Christ. We are guilty. Of the body of Christ. That was given for us. Listen carefully now. Here is Paul's point with regards to the specific case with the Corinthians. He's saying to sin against another believer. Is the sin against Christ. That's what he's saying. In fact he said that before. About eat meats offered to idols. Turn in your Bibles again. To chapter 8. Look at chapter 8 verse 12. This is the word of God. I didn't make this up. I didn't devise this up last night to scare you. This is the word of God. Notice what Paul says. Chapter 8 verse 12. When you sin against other believers by encouraging them to do something they believe is wrong you are what? you are sinning against Christ, that's the same thing Paul is saying here when you sin against another believer you are sinning against Christ, putting it in the context he says that when we come around the Lord's table and we do not understand that my relationship with my brother and sister is a vital one. We are connected to Jesus Christ. We are connected to one another. And if we have our odds with our brother and sister, we are sinning against the Christ who gave himself as a perfect sacrifice for us. This is specifically Paul's condemnation of the Corinthians. 
They were sinning against the body of Christ by sinning against the less fortunate members of that body by not caring for them when they met to observe the Lord's Supper. That's what he's talking about. And Paul gives them strong advice. This is why you should examine, verse 28, that is why you should examine yourself before eating the bread and drinking the cup. Notice again now, he's applying what he just taught. That is why. He's given a basis for this practice. This is why. Because of what I've just taught you. Doctrine, I say, is useless if it is not applied. Everything you know about the scriptures, everything is useless if you don't apply it. As Howard Hendricks used to say, the word of God was not given to titillate our minds, but to transform our lives. That's it. James says what? It's not the hearer of the word, but what? It's the doer of the word that is blessed. Now, what must we do then? Examine yourself. Now, to examine means to test or to evaluate in order to see if you meet the proper qualification. Now, here it means in this text to evaluate To evaluate yourself against God's requirements concerning your brother and your sister. In Corinthians' case, Paul is saying that's the first step in eating and drinking in a worthy manner. Look at your relationship with your brothers and sisters. That principle applies today. Jesus taught it. He said, you are going to worship and you remember you fighting with a brother or sister? You have something against them or they have something against you? He said, you just as well stop going to worship. Stop. No use. Drop it. Drop your offering. Drop it. And do what? Go and get it right. Then come back. That's the same principle he's talking about here. That's why he says, do it before. Before participating. Now again, please, in context. It's important. We don't examine to prevent ourselves from partaking. But we examine in order to participate. Please, remember that. You see, that's, where the, that's why I'm repeated again and again so many times in the past. Paul teaches the principles. Where sin abounds, what happens? Grace abounds much more. That's beautiful. That's why the words, the Apostle John, 1 John 1.9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Examining ourselves can lead us to that. Now, notice something now. The result of the failure to do what God commands us. Verse 29. For if you eat the bread or drink the cup without honoring the body of Christ, you are eating and drinking God's judgment upon yourself. This is self-brought judgment of God upon you. Because you failed to do what he told you to do. Notice the consequences that befall such disobedient and undeserving believers. If we don't examine ourselves and our relationship to our brother. Verse 30. That is why many of you are weak and sick. And some have even died. Now that's a passage of scripture I wish was not in the Bible. Now remember what he's talking about now. He ain't talking about murdering. He ain't talking about fornicating. He ain't talking about stealing. He ain't talking about lying. He's talking about your attitude when you come around the Lord's table regarding your brothers and sisters. If that's not right, Bible says you could be spiritually weak and who's going to bring it on? God. Not the person. God. If you don't listen to him, you could become physically sick. Who brings it on? God. Not the devil. God. And if you don't listen to him again, this is progressive. If you don't listen to him, you're going to die. Oh boy. That's awful, isn't it? What a terrible God we have. Who would kill us for sinning against him. It happened to Ananias and Sapphira, didn't it? You say, well, God don't do those things today. Mm. So you can explain every death of every Christian you see. We see them die, but we don't have anybody write down and say, that's why they die. That's why sometimes when I hear about a preacher who dies in the pulpit, people say, boy, isn't that a glorious way to go? Well, it all depends. It all depends. Look at verse 31 now. 
Well, let me, here's what someone else has said. It is possible for the saints to be fit for heaven, but not fit to remain on earth because of the way they live. So, in order to save his reputation, God kills, takes the sinning Christian home. Verse 31. But if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged. Now, isn't that a simple thing? You want to... You want to get rid of all of that fear and everything? What you got to do is do what God says. That's all. Is that so bad? To do what God tells you to do? To live in fellowship with your brother and sister? If you sin, go and ask for forgiveness? Is that bad? Is that something hard to do? That's all we have to do to escape this. Do what God says. Simple. Verse 31, but if we would examine ourselves, we would not be judged by God in this way. I mean, you can't have anything simple than that. Don't say, I want to know what God's will in this sentence because I speak to my brother or sister for so much, so many years, and I lied about them, I do all this. I wonder what God's will is. You know what God's will is. Paul said, if you come to obey, you come around the Lord's Supper with that kind of a mindset and that kind of attitude, you're sinning. But it's very easy. To get it right. Verse 31. Why does God do this, by the way? Do you think it's because God hates us? No, he does it because he loves us. A father disciplines those he loves. Verse 33. So, my dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper... Now, I want you to understand this. Sometimes we, we, we miss this in trying to understand what Paul was talking about here. Here is the remedy for the Corinthians. It isn't go and uh, stop stealing or stop living with somebody else's husband. That isn't it. He say, here is how to remedy what is wrong with you at Corinth around the Lord's table. Here is the remedy. My dear brothers and sisters, when you gather for the Lord's Supper, wait for each other. Remember we talked about it? Don't run ahead and eat all the food because it was a love feast at that time and be selfish. He says, all you got to do, here she says, wait for each other. In other words, wait till those who need food come and give it to them. And you solve your problem around the Lord's table. Now, is that a big spiritual thing to do? Yes, it is. Treating my brother and sister right is one of the biggest Spiritual actions we could do according to Christ. If you are really, if you are really hungry, eat at home so you won't bring judgment upon yourselves when you meet together. That's a simple way. Paul says to these Corinthians here, all you have to do to correct the situation around the Lord's table is to treat your brother and sister right. Love them. Feed them. Don't treat them as an outcast. Don't look down on them as being less than you are. See them as equal members of the incredible body of Christ. Love them, cherish them, care for them. And when you come around the Lord's table, you look at the Lord's body here, but you also look at the Lord's body around here, and you say, we are one. That's what Paul is talking about. One. Paul says, now, i got some other things to talk to you about, but I can wait. until I see you. Face to face. But he's given the correction here. For eating and drinking in an unworthy manner. Around the Lord's table. It's for us today. Let me close with a comment from Dr. Warren Risby. He says this, quote. The Lord's Supper is a family meal. And the Lord of the family desires that his children love one another and care for one another. It is impossible for a true, true Christian to get closer to his Lord while at the same time he is separated from his fellow believers. How can we remember the Lord's death and not love one another? Beloved, if God so loved us, we are also to love one another. No one ought to come to the table who is not a true believer. Nor should a true believer come to the table if his heart is not right with God and with his fellow Christian. End of quote. That's Paul's teaching. Please bow with me as we prepare.
to remember the Lord. Now, please, please, this is not intended to scare you away from observing the Lord's Supper. This is to encourage you to participate by drawing upon the grace of God to accept your brother and sisters on equal terms with you and to show them love. And if there's any sin that you have right now in your heart or in your life in relation to your brother and sister, because that's the emphasis, God's promise goes out. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. God wants us to participate. Jesus wants us to participate, to remember him. And the blood of Jesus Christ allows us to do that. If we confess, he forgives, we are qualified. Take a few moments, quiet reflection and meditation as we go into this wonderful time of fellowship. Remember now, our Lord Jesus wants you to remember him. None of us are worthy in ourselves. We're only worthy because of the blood of Christ. That's why he tells us to examine before we participate. To apply the blood to ask forgiveness and God takes care of it. Then we can remember him. The one who first remembered us. I encourage you to remain in an attitude of worship as men come to share the elements.
lest I forget thy love for me. today to, to proclaim worthy is the lamb worthy of our lives worthy of our love worthy to be remembered worthy to be adored
as the men return to the front. Let's thank him for his great love. Let's thank him for his great sacrifice. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are worthy, and we thank you, Lord, for your ultimate sacrifice on the cross for our sins and the sins of the whole world. We thank you and praise you that we can observe this ordinance, and we ask, Father, that as we think of your body that was bruised and battered for our sins, that you made us worthy. Father, we thank you and we praise you for what you have done already, Lord. In Jesus' name we praise. Amen. As we take this bread and as we partake together, let us continue to remember our Lord and Savior. Shall we partake?
Fathers, we remember the shed blood of your son Jesus Christ on the cross. Recognize that it was not the soldiers, it was nothing on earth, but it was your great love for us that had him on that cross, that our sins might be forgiven. Father, we, we just thank you. And as we remember, we, we just pray that not only do we remember now, but until we partake again, we will continue to remember this great act of love, of sacrifice on our behalf. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Let us consider ourselves fortunate, blessed today, that we can be obedient to God as we partake of the cup. Let's stand together and let's proclaim with a joyful heart, hallelujah to this lamb, the lamb of God, the one who takes away our sin. Let's stand together and praise him as we give back uh, to help the need of, of others. Father, we come now to say thank you for this time of worship. It's all made possible because the death of your Son in our behalf. Dismiss us now with your benediction in Jesus' name. <laughs>